Thank you, Marnie. I, I got to hear that in the last service, too. And it was absolutely inspirational. I just closed my eyes and I contemplated the message of that beautiful, beautiful Christmas carol. What child is this? And the answer is what we've been talking about the last several weeks. He is God's Christmas gift from heaven. You know, Jesus' entry into the world radically changed the world for all time. Jesus' entry into the world radically changed our lives for all time. It radically changed the relationship that we can enjoy with God today. Is all because of the Christmas gift from heaven, Jesus Christ. Now, we've been learning the last several weeks that not only do we have the gift, but when you unwrap the gift, there are gifts within the gift. For example, we, we learned about God's gift of peace that comes through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ is the antidote in our lives for the things that rob us of peace. Things like guilt and things like greed and extended grief and grudges that we can hold against each other. All those things rob us of peace. And Jesus is the antidote to all of those things if we'll give him free reign in our lives. It's also the gift of power. See, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we become an empowered group of people. We become empowered individuals. We have the power of a pardon from all of our sins. We have the power of a passage. The Holy Spirit of God now lives inside. We become the temple of the living God for every man and every woman who has received that power of a pardon. Then we have the power to perceive we can understand God's word because the Holy Spirit teaches us and reveals it to us. We can understand what is truth in life. We can understand the way that we should go. God will direct our paths. We have the power of a purpose and that purpose is to be the people of God. To be the sons and daughters of God. To be light in this dark world. And that's a high calling. And for many it's a very foreboding calling. But along with that comes the power to perform. God has gifted us and God has empowered us to be able to be his sons and daughters and to have an eternal impact in this world. We have the power to prevail. We don't walk through life hoping that things are going to end up okay. We don't walk through life hoping that our circumstances aren't going to overwhelm us because God has promised that they won't. And he has even given us the promise of eternal life. Christmas gift from heaven. Now today I want to just share one more in our Christmas season. One more gift. And to me, this gift is an amazing gift. Not that these aren't. But this one really resonates with me. And that's the gift of another chance. American baseball has given us an adage, an expression that we frequently use with each other. And that's three strikes and you're out. Parents use it with their children. That's three times I've told you, three strikes, you're done, go to timeout. Sometimes our spouses will, will, will do that with us. That's three strikes. I'm not talking to you for a while. I've got to get out of here. 
Sometimes it's at work and a boss will say, that's three strikes. We can't employ you any longer. You're fired. So it's in all kinds of different areas of our life. We'll even kid each other. Even good naturedly said, strike three, you're done. Three strikes. That's our sense of justice. It has even permeated our actual sense of the legal justice of our country. And in many states, it's two strikes and you're out. Well, consider four strikes. That's the number of strikes that mankind as a race has committed against God. Four strikes. Now, even our human sense of justice only requires three and we're out. And yet God's Christmas gift from heaven has continually been another chance. See, the first strike was in the Garden of Eden. Remember in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, when God created man, he said to Adam, he said, you're free to eat of all the trees here in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you will surely die. Now, we all know how that ended up. We did the one thing God told us not to do. We violated the one prohibition in all creation that God gave us. And he even said that if you violate this prohibition, you're going to die. Now, when Adam and Eve violated that prohibition, God would have been perfectly just to eradicate them from the face of the earth. He would have been perfectly just to kill them because that is what he told them would happen. But God is the God of another chance. And so instead of killing them, he banished them. Genesis 3.23 from the garden. And then Adam had to work by the sweat of his brow. And Eve bore children with pain. The labor of childbirth. Strike one. Strike two came shortly thereafter. Even though God had given us another chance and not eradicated us, as he could have justifiably done when we violated the one prohibition of all creation, shortly thereafter, strike two came. And that surrounds the story of Noah. Genesis 6.6 6 says, The Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth and his heart was filled with pain. Can you imagine this truth, that God's heart was filled with pain? But mankind, even though given another chance by God, continued to be rebellious towards God, continued to be ambivalent towards God, continued to act out. And so God, looking over the whole planet Earth at this time, man had reproduced himself over and over again. There were now nations and people groups everywhere. And man was so rebellious against what God had put in his heart to obey and what God had revealed that when God looked at all of mankind, he found one man. The Bible says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It came down to one man, one godly family on the entire planet. God was in pain that he'd even created man. And yet God's the God of another chance. 
And through one man and his family, God allowed the human race to continue. Strike two. Strike three is the season we're celebrating, the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 2, 7. We've rehearsed this through our whole Christmas season, this idea that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And Mary that night gave birth to him and she wrapped him in cloths. And the King James says swaddling clothes. And it says she laid him in a manger, a feeding trough for cattle. Because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, this boggles my mind. Here, the Son of God, finally born into the world, and nobody's there to celebrate it. They say, well, come on, how would they know? They should have known, especially Israel. Because from the very beginning, after man fell in the garden, God said, through the seed of women, I will crush your head, Satan. He was saying right then, I'm sending a Messiah. I'm sending a Savior. I'm sending a Redeemer into the world. And God began then, through the nation of Israel, to reveal specific family groups that that Savior would come through. In Genesis 12.3, through Abraham's family. In Genesis 17.9, through Isaac's family. In Numbers 24.7.3, through the family of Jacob. And remember, he had 12 sons, so God got very specific. In, in Genesis 49.10, he said it would come from the tribe of Judah, the son of Judah, from, from Jacob. Then he goes on to say in Isaiah 9-7 that he would come specifically from the family of David. Then he says in Ma Ma Micah 5-2 that he is going to be born in the city of Bethlehem. And in Isaiah 7-14 said, and this is a sure sign, he's going to be born of a virgin. This Redeemer, this Messiah. And understand... Israel's entire religious system is built around the expectation of the coming Messiah. And yet, when Jesus was born, no one was looking for him. One room, even in the hotel for him and his family. Had to go out in a barn and give delivery to this Messiah and put him in a cow's feeding trough. Anyway, I say, no, no, yeah, well, you're being a little hard here, Pete. Am I? Consider this. Suetonius, who was a Roman historian living in this day, writes of this time. And he says, there had spread all over the Orient an old established belief that it was fated that at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. Here's this Roman historian, this pagan. And he's saying, he's writing, he's saying, at the time all this transpired, throughout the entire known world, there was this buzz going on. And the buzz was that in Judea, in Israel, at this time, there was going to be a prominent leader and that a power was going to rise up out of Judea that was going to rule the world. Now, he wasn't an isolated kind of guy. Another Roman historian, Tacitus, penned this. There was a firm persuasion that at this very time, the East was to grow very powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire a universal empire. Again, this expectation worldwide that something phenomenal was about to happen. 
He goes on to write, There was a growing feeling that from somewhere in the East, a great and unprecedented world leader was about to rise. Consider another group, the Magi. We sing, We three kings of Orient are. The Magi. Come to Herod, Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. The whole world was buzzing. The Magi recognized the Christmas star and left their country to go to Bethlehem to find Jesus and ultimately God led them there. But yet, the people to whom God had revealed the most, the people to whom God had established a special intimate relationship so that they could share with the rest of the world the coming of their Messiah, the Redeemer of the world, on the night of his birth, he was sent out to the barn. The Son of God. Sent out to the barn. And the only people that even got there were some shepherds that angels had to appear and send there. Strike three. Even by our own human sense of justice, at this point in human history, God had every right to say, that's it. Strike three, you're out. Strike three, you've gone too far. Strike three, you have violated everything good that I have tried to give to you. You have ignored, you have rejected, you have rebelled against. You're out. But because God is the God of another chance... He continued to extend his mercy towards mankind only for us to reject it yet a fourth time. And that was at the cross, at the tomb, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On that Easter now that we call and celebrate it, Sunday morning, Luke 24, 5, a couple women go down to the tomb to finish the burial process because they had to put Jesus in the grave in a rush on the Sabbath to get him in before the sun went down. They couldn't do all the burial preparations correctly. So on the first day of the week, after the Sabbath had ended, they were going back to finalize the burial process with his body. They go to the tomb, and there's an angel who says, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. And he says this, Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? And he just says, well, What are you doing here? Don't you remember what he taught you? See, Jesus from the very beginning was very open about why he had come to earth. He was very open about what was going to happen to him. It's in every gospel, but, but in the book of Mark, it is so pointed, it is so open. In Mark chapter 2, at the very beginning of his ministry, verses 18-20, he taught about his death. He said, I've come to die. 
Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to die. In, in Mark 8.31, he identified who was going to kill him. In, in Mark 8.31 and 9.31, he taught about his resurrection, but three days later, I'm coming back. Then Mark 10.33 and 34, he told the exact, identified the exact order of the events of his death. He, he identified in Mark 14.26-28 the exact day of his death. And yet, though he was very open, on his resurrection, the disciples were hiding and nobody was looking for him. Well, almost nobody. See, because it's recorded in Matthew 27, verses 63 to 64, that the Pharisees, the chief priests, the religious leaders of Israel, after they put Jesus in the tomb on the Sabbath day, went to Pilate, and they said to Pilate, they said, Sir... We remember that while he was still alive, that this deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So they said to Pilate, give the order to make the tomb secure until after the third day. They got it. They were expecting it. And they did everything they could to prevent it from happening. They went to Pilate and they said, set a guard, make it secure. This deceiver, this charlatan, this apostate, this false teacher, while he was still living, was going around everywhere saying that I'm going to be killed and after three days I'm coming back. We got to make sure that that's impossible. We got to make sure his disciples can't come and steal the body and say that he rose. Rome, you do what Rome does best. You put a guard there so that this deceiver will end right here and right now. No one, no one was there when he came victoriously from the grave. Strike four. Four strikes. God would have been absolutely just. He went even beyond our own human sense of justice and what is right. He went beyond our three strikes and you're out. And he allowed a fourth strike. Why? Because he's the God of another chance. The Bible says in Psalm 65, 3, when we were overwhelmed by sins, God, you forgave our transgressions. Now here's the amazing thing. Think about it. If God would have been fully justified... In destroying mankind after four strikes, how much more justified would he be in destroying me? How much more justified would he be to destroy you? Would there be anyone here bold enough to say, I don't have any strikes against God. 
Would there anybody be bold enough to say, I got one strike against them? I've got two strikes. Any honest man, any honest woman would hear, would be like me and say, I have uncountable strikes against God. I have rebelled against Him more times than I can remember. I have lived ambivalently towards Him. I have been indifferent to Him. I have sensed the Holy Spirit bearing witness with me and I push that Spirit away. And yet, we can celebrate today God's Christmas gift from heaven. Another chance. See, the Bible says in Psalm 86.15, But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Oh, if God wasn't who God is. If God was you, if God was me, we'd be done, folks. God isn't me and God isn't you he is so far beyond us that we can't even imagine it and, and I think the place one of the places he's the most beyond us in his willingness to give us another chance the psalmist got it right in Psalm 78 here's where most of us live so often they remembered that God was their rock that God Most High was their Redeemer. But then they would flatter Him with their mouths, lying to Him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to Him. They were not faithful to His covenant. Now specifically, He's talking about Israel. But so many of us live there and have lived there. We flatter Him with our tongues. We come to church and we sing... Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. But in our lives on Monday through Saturday, He doesn't have our heart. He doesn't have our devotion. We live the way we want to live. We do things the way we want to do it. When we feel the Holy Spirit challenges us, challenging us to some new height, either out of fear or understanding that this is going to complicate my life, this is going to get messy, I'm not going to listen to that voice, I go away, and we put our fingers in our ears and go, la, 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 we don't want to listen. We flatter Him with our outward expression of religion and yet our heart is far from him and therefore he is perfectly justified every one of us here beginning with me to say I've had enough with you Pete Tokar I've had enough but it goes on to say Psalm 78 yet he was merciful he forgave their iniquities and not destroy them read this with me Time after time he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. Why? 
because he remembered that we're but flesh. He remembered how helpless we really are. He remembered how volatile we really are. And for some reason, his love is greater than our indifference. I wonder today, do you need another chance? Maybe you're here today and you know you haven't been living your life for Jesus Christ. You know that there's some area or areas in your life that are directly 180 degrees out from where God would lead you and where God has been striving to bring you. And because you have continually rebelled against God has every right this day to destroy you. But I'm here to tell you that he's, instead he's offering you the Christmas gift from heaven of another chance. You're here today and God has been striving with you. You're not rebelling against God. You, you've been trying to live your life right for God. But the Holy Spirit's been challenging you to do something. To, to exercise faith in some area. To, to engage in some service to God. And you've been pushing the voice away because you don't want it to complicate your life and you don't want it to be messy. Let me tell you something. I figured out about the Christian life. It's messy. And God makes it messy for a purpose so that we're relying on Him and not ourselves. And He has been speaking to you and you've been pushing Him away. Today, He wants to give you the gift of another chance. The old salvation hymn says it this way. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. So and tenderly Jesus is calling calling oh sinner come home would you bow your head with me oh my friend God loves you God gets he gets you he understands he knows everything about you. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you've been scheming to do this next week. He knows if you've received Him and, and you've been embracing the Holy Spirit or you've been pushing the Holy Spirit away. He knows it all. And even though He's be justified in rebuking you and chastising you strongly. Instead, today he offers you another chance. Come home. Come home. All ye who are weary, come home softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling. Will you come home? Maybe you're a believer. And right now the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you about something in your life. 
And he's saying, come home, come on, come on back. Come home. Maybe you're here today and you're seeking faith in God. You, you really don't know much about God. Well, here's the one thing he wants us all to understand about himself. Is that he loves us so much. That he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And that he provided us a way back to him for all eternity. See, so, so many human beings, the vast majority of the human race, is living their life hoping that somehow they're going to be good enough in God's eyes that God's going to invite them into eternity with Him. But the Bible says exactly the opposite. The Bible says, John 3.23, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why He sent Jesus. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's the Christmas gift from heaven. God sent Jesus Christ here, who lived a perfect life so He could die a sacrificial death for me and for you. And all he asks is that we put our faith in Jesus Christ and what he's already done. It's not by what we do, it's by what he has already done. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, God's going to give you another chance to do that right now. Just pray to Him and ask for that gift. The Bible says, Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Pray, God, I want your forgiveness. God, I need your forgiveness. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. Now I get it. The only way to you is through Jesus and what He did. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Right now, Jesus, I'm taking my confidence off of my own goodness and I'm asking you to be my substitute, you to be my sacrifice for sin, you to be my Savior. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. You know, that chance that God gives us for eternal life just comes with humility like that in fact the Bible says in 1 John 5 13 these things I write unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you will have eternal life Father I don't know what all the needs are here today but I want to thank you this last Sunday of 2010 this last Sunday of this Christmas season. I want to thank you for all the Christmas gifts from heaven. The gift of peace. The gift of power. And today especially, for the gift of another chance. God, I pray that every man and every woman has availed himself or herself of that chance today. Make us right with you so that we can be right with each other so that we can be right as couples so we can be right as parents so we can be right as brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can be right as co-workers as neighbors, as friends thank you God for being the God of another chance may we never presume 
on your mercy and grace again. Let's sing together that little chorus, I surrender all, I surrender all. I surrender all. Stand and sing. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. You know it now. Sing it again. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all, I surrender Now that's how to enter a new year. That's where we belong. That's the gift that has been afforded us. I wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas. Next week we're going to be back. We'll start our three distinct services. And the first of those services will be on New Year's Day itself at 6 o'clock. 9.30, traditional service. 6 and 11, different kind of contemporary services. And since we've surrendered all, there's some things we need to take care of to stay there. Next week, I'm going to begin a new series entitled, It's a Brand New Year. Is it the same old you? Can't go into another year the same old person. We're going to talk about some things to strengthen ourselves and to strengthen our lives we're going to start with next week same old trash let's throw some trash out as we start a new year these are on all the tables back there I'm going to invite you as you leave to pick some up and use them as invitations to invite friends and family members as the series on the front and on the back service times and our website let's fill this house going into a new year making changes that will make us better men and women as you leave don't forget to give your gifts to the Lord if you've not had a chance to give your special Christmas gift give that to the Lord as we leave today